Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. I'm going to make an interpretive kind of prediction, and you tell me if you agree. I think that the cost of Achan's sin is farther reaching even than the defeat at AI, and even beyond you know, uh, Achan's death and his family's death. I, I think that once the Israelites had been defeated just that one time, their enemies began to smell blood in the water. And uh, instead of surrendering right away, capitulating the way that Rahab did, for example, very wisely, and according to the sovereignty of God in Jericho, they're going to start conspiring, uniting. And I think that much of the tremendous amount of blood that is shed in Israel's righteous conquest of the land that God was calling them to take as promised to their forefathers getting back to the covenant with Abraham, I think a lot of that blood was shed in part because the enemy nations and cities saw that Israel could be defeated. They didn't know that God had sabotaged his own army, but because they saw a defeat on Israel's record, they would conspire. Here's Joshua chapter 9. When all the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, see, those who were west of the Jordan in the hill country in the Judean foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea toward Lebanon, the Hethites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they formed a unified alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. Okay? So this unified alliance, this league of pagan cities has decided, you know what, we're going to take these guys on rather than capitulate, surrender, uh, come under, you know, the, the lordship of Yahweh and adhere to the law of Moses, be saved in the Old Testament sense. They're going to fight Israel. And I think this is partly why uh, this, this is partly why there's so much blood shed. And my interpretation, you know, is, is based on this right here. When all the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, or I, as I hear some people pronounce it, that's when, that's when the idea was formed. That's why there was so much, uh, so there's so many battles to be fought in the conquest of Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. They gathered provisions and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. Right, so this is a ruse. They want it to look like these sandals have been worn for a really long journey. These wineskins used to be new, and now they're really old. And this bread was fresh when we left, but now it's all, and now it's like, you know, croutons. This is a ruse to make it look like they don't live within this boundary of land that Israel's currently conquering. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We've come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. The men of Israel replied to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. How can we make a treaty with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. So, while all the other nearby kings all the way uh, to the Mediterranean are conspiring this like, you know, league of, of, of cities, you know, to, to pick a fight, to unite and fight against Israel. Uh, 
these guys are being more crafty. They intend to make themselves a vassal city uh, toward Israel. Then Joshua asked them, who are you and where do you come from? They replied to him, your servants have come from a faraway land because of the reputation of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. Okay, that's old school, right? This is, all, this is, going, uh, this, this is going back uh, over 40 years now. And all that he did to the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who was in uh, Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions with you for the journey. Go and meet them and say, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This is a lie on multiple levels, I think. Uh, so they're pretending like this is a long journey. You know, the old sandals, cracked wineskin, stale bread the old clothes, and they're acting like they've been commissioned to go and meet them. Please make a treaty with us. But I think that this opening phrase of the sentence, if you're watching this on, on, on video at allies.network, our elders and all the inhabitants of our land told us this was a, this, this would have made, uh, this would have made this city really unique in its, governmental structure, that they would be elder ruled, I think they are mimicking Judaism. I think that they are trying to make Israel think that they're ruled by elders and not a king. We've seen the, the, the title king, you know, over Jericho, over Ai, or I, and we would know that that really means like a military leader, because Jericho is largely a military city. And they're saying, no, no, our elders sent us a long way. The truth is that, you know, they just came to Seattle from Tacoma. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not that far off. They're, they're not that far away. And I think that they're also, uh, they're, they're feigning some sort of, uh, like, Jewish polity over their city, like, to make them think, oh, we're not so different from you. Verse 12, this bread of ours was warm when we took it from our houses as food on the day we left to come to you, which was like yesterday, probably. <laughs> but see, it's now dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but see, they are cracked. And these clothes and sandals of ours are worn out from the extremely long journey. I think I would have been suspicious at this point. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not seek the Lord's decision. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You can see where this is going. If you've been with us through our series in Judges, man, you know. All right, when you don't seek the Lord at all, all right, uh, you're going to, not only is it, is it going to fail, all right, but man, it, it's going to lead to disaster. So Joshua established peace with them and made a treaty to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. Uh, this is almost interchangeable. Uh, think of this like a, like a covenant. All right, it's taken very, very seriously. Now, uh, these guys are lying, and Joshua fell for it. Nobody sought the Lord. They were wise in their own eyes. They leaned on their own understanding. And any student of the book of Proverbs will tell you that's a recipe for disaster. Not even consulting God, not even consulting God, not even praying about it. I mean, God had been speaking to Joshua so clearly all the while, this was this was a uh, this was one of the few lapses in Joshua's leadership, and so man, uh, I, I think that this is this is uh, something that precipitates from 
Aiken Sin. Because they'd heard about AI, these nations are, are all aligning against Israel. And, uh, you know, once again, having had multiple victories under their belts, but having forgotten where those victories ultimately came from, they begin to rest upon their own understanding, their own judgment. And, and it's not, it's not going to work. Here's where, here's where these guys are, are coming from. The Gibeonites, probably also, they know about Egypt, they know about Sihon, they know about Og. I mean, like Rahab, they know everything, but unlike Rahab, they have no intention of worshiping Yahweh. Rather, they intend to manipulate their way into a covenant. Uh, they probably knew this, Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18. However, you must not let anything uh, let any living thing survive among the cities of the people the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy them. The Hethite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite. That includes the people of Gibeon, by the way. As the Lord your God has commanded you so that you won't, uh, uh, so that they won't teach you to do all the detestable acts they do for their gods and you sin against the Lord your God. And so they are prey to this deception. And the consequences of sin are far-reaching. This is this is a New Testament truth as well. Okay, look at look at Romans uh, chapter five, beginning in verse twelve. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all the people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression, he is a type of the coming one. So these, uh, this portion of the text speaks to the cascading precipitous effects of sin and how it's generational and it, and just, it goes way beyond what you might think. Man, it is a lie from the devil when he tells you, like, this sin's not that big of a deal, even if it's a secret sin. Achan's sin was totally secret at first. This is, this is the, the great ruse. This is the rusty barbed hook hidden inside the delicious bait that was temptation. Temptation that you and I had a way out of. God always provides a way out. I wrote a book for Lifeway called The Way Out. And man, it means that our sin is 100% our fault. And God gave us a way to stand up under it, but Instead, we chose to chomp right down on the bait. Well, guess what? That rusty barbed hook is going to snag you. It's going to drag you. It's going to cost you way more than you ever could have imagined. Sin is spiritually exorbitantly expensive. Now, there's hope in this teaching from Romans 5 that I think is parallel to what we see happening here in the narrative of Joshua, where uh, now... Israel's enemies think that they're defeatable and others are trying to, uh, trying to deceive them. Uh, though we did suffer because of Adam's sin and we too sinned, perhaps not in the exact likeness of Adam's sin, nonetheless we've all sinned, there's something about Adam too. He is a type of the coming one. So even as the cascading effects of our sin are just cause a ripple effect that that we can't begin to imagine, especially not at the moment that we're presented with this temptation. By the way, have the discernment to know the difference between being tempted and actually sinning. But when, when we chomp down on the bait and we don't take the way out that God provided, uh, 
Uh, we're not tempted beyond what we can bear. We could have we could have borne it, but instead we choose sin every single time. And when we do, man, man, it, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. Hence, confession that doesn't pass blame, doesn't pass, doesn't doesn't make excuses, doesn't polish sin, but just admits sin in full, uh, in full for what it is. Even as we have inherited that same sin nature, man, God is the redeemer. God is gracious. God is forgiving. Where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That means there's more grace than there is sin. There's way more. It, it, uh, grace abounds more. And so even Adam, who started this whole massive domino effect, even Adam, however, the text says of Romans chapter 5, is a type of the coming one. All right, Adam was a man sent to earth by God, all right, created by God. And uh, Jesus is God come to earth as a man. Fully God, fully man. Adam was just this glimpse, this foreshadowing, uh, as Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls him a type of the coming one. So even though we sin, God is gracious, God makes a way. There is way more grace than there is sin. Aren't you grateful for that? So beware the delicious bait because it contains within it a rusty barbed hook that will cost you so much more than you can possibly imagine at first.